seated. I think this morning we've read one of the most reassuring passages in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, and that is where Paul in Romans 7 talks about his struggle with sin. You know, it's, it's reassuring when you're in the midst of a struggle to know that you're not alone. Now, that's one of the genius of recovery groups. You're battling addiction is to know that you're not in the fight alone. Even if you're going through physical difficulty and you meet somebody who's going through a similar physical battle, there's something encouraging just knowing that you're not alone in this battle. And here, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, the, the one who was, was captured by Christ and was God-intoxicated, you might say, and Christ was the center of his life, the Apostle Paul here in Romans 7 talks about his struggle with sin. Really, the first point that I want to make based on this passage is that all Christians struggle with sin. And we need to realize that because sometimes in the Christian life we can feel so discouraged because of the struggle with sin and the failure and the guilt that goes along with it. And sometimes we might think, I, I should be way further down the road here in my Christian life. Why do I still have to deal with these sins, these habits, or maybe new sins and new things crop up and uh, we feel defeated and discouraged? And Satan, our spiritual enemy, can come along and he's the accuser. And he can say, you know what, you're, you're, you, you failed too many times and... You're disqualified, therefore. You're, you're useless in the kingdom of God. You're a hopeless case. And that can lead to despair and discouragement. And sometimes people can get so far along on that road of discouragement, they might even think, I may not even be a Christian, so I might just, well, give it up and plunge headlong into a life of sin. But here the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, talks about his own struggle with sin. And I want to suggest that if the Apostle Paul had this battle, we all are going to have this battle. Look at how he talks about this struggle. Verse 15. I, I do not understand. See if you can relate to this. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Or verse 19. For I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. J.B. Phillips paraphrases that this way. I can't accomplish the good I set out to do. Anybody have a hard time fulfilling their New Year's resolutions? I can't accomplish the good I set out to do, but the evil I don't really want to do, I find myself doing. This struggle, this internal battle. We don't know exactly what kind of sin Paul is talking about here. Um, most likely, it's, it's not something like a notorious sin or, or something that would be a scandalous sin. I think the closer you are to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more readily you see your sin. Um, the closer you are to God and you understand how holy God is, the more readily you, you see your own 
shortcomings in light of the holiness of God? Somebody gave an analogy that if you're wearing a black shirt, it's difficult to see a black insect on the shirt. If you're wearing a white shirt, you can readily spot, you can easily spot a black insect on your white shirt. I think Paul saw himself against the backdrop of God's purity and holiness and righteousness. And so he was quick to recognize anything in his life and his personality and his character that fell short of that. Maybe he was talking here about about spiritual pride or or ingratitude or impatience. We don't know exactly what sort of sin at this point Paul is is thinking about, but it's really not about a specific kind of sin. It's 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 an inclination to sin. Uh, Something happening inside of him that rebels against the law of God. But again, I think it's just encouraging to know that Paul, the apostle, struggled with sin. He battled against sin. Now, now, this is a controversial passage. Not all New Testament commentators agree with this. Some, some commentators don't believe that Paul's really talking about himself. Maybe he's using a literary device. Because it's hard to believe that this, this great apostle who talks about the freedom uh, of the Spirit and life in the Spirit, uh, it, it's hard to, to think of Paul as this wretched man in Romans 7, given some of the other things that he said in this book. So some people think maybe this is a literary device and he's he's not talking about himself. He's talking about a non-Christian. This is the experience of a non-Christian. Other people think that maybe Paul's talking about how he was before he met Christ. But I think a natural reading of the, the passage, and this is the majority view, is that when Paul says, I, he's talking about himself. <laughs> and when he talks in the present tense, he really is talking about a present struggle. The present struggle with sin. And so again, I think it's assuring, reassuring to know that we're not alone in the struggle, in the fight against sin. Our spiritual enemy will tempt us to despair when we struggle and when we fail. He'll tempt us to despair. He'll remind us of our guilt and our failure. But we need to remember who we are. We are Christ, and we belong to Him. The Apostle John reminds us of, 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 of the truth of this passage, that all Christians struggle with sin. John says in 1 John 1.8, we recite this every week, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But then if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lent is this period of confession and receiving afresh the forgiveness and renewing power of God. Now, why does Paul have this battle with sin? Well, he explains it's because of the sinful nature, the sin that dwells within, he talks about, indwelling sin. He says, um, verse 17, so now it is no longer... I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Okay, hold that thought. What do you mean, Paul? It's no longer you who do it. Are you scapegoating here? The devil made you do it? The sin made you do it? What exactly are you saying? Hold that thought. But I just want you to see, he says, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Indwelling sin. Or verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it. But then again, the phrase, but the sin 
that dwells within me. Or then at the very end of the passage, he talks about serving the law of sin with his flesh. What's Paul getting at here? He's saying, there's part of me, and this is the real me. The core of who I am. My identity. The I. That wants to serve the law of God. That loves the law of God. He says, delights in the law of God. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. At the core of who I am. This is another reason why I don't think Paul's talking about a non-Christian. A non-Christian wouldn't say, I delight in the law of God. So he says, I, at the core of who I am, the true Paul, I love God and I love His law and I love His word. But there's another part of me, and that is the sinful flesh. That is the sinful impulses that are still part of who I am. And that is what is waging war against my core identity. A divided self. Okay. And so, again, this is a uni- it's not just Paul here. I think it's the universal experience of, of, of every Christian. The, the reason why he's struggling here is because he does belong to Christ. This is why it bothers him so. This is why it bothers him so much. That the dangerous place to be spiritually is to be in a place where you say, well, you know, I'm not too bothered with my sin. They're not, it's not that bad after all compared to other people. That's the dangerous place to be spiritually. But here Paul is saying because he knows the law of God, because he knows God, he's in this inner turmoil. He delights in the law of God. He knows what the law of God demands of him, but he can't meet the law's demand. Not perfectly. So what's the solution here? Well, is it just to to try harder? Is it to really understand what God is asking you to do? Is this a a matter of ignorance that Paul really doesn't understand what God is asking him to do? No, because he says that the law of God inflames. It, It produces more sin. The law itself, he says in verse 12, the law is holy. The commandment is holy. And righteous and good. So that's not what is working this death in me, he says. No, not at all. God's law is good. But it's sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. That's one of the functions of the law. One of the functions of God's law is to show us that we fall short. We need a deliverer. We need Christ. And that's where he's going in this passage. So there's this other part of him, this indwelling sin. I'm reminded of a, of a line from a novel I just finished about a, a Catholic priest who was not a very good Catholic priest. He was known as the whiskey priest in this novel. And, and it, but it's a story of his inner turmoil, knowing that he falls so short of the calling that God's placed on his life. In the end, he finds redemption. But at one point, the, novel, the novelist writes this, the author writes this about the priest says the priest was aware of carrying sin within like malaria in his veins. Like malaria in his veins. It's something inward. It's something within. And so it's not something coming outside of me. It's something I carry within me. And so there needs to be something that happens at the interior level in my life to help me deal with this. And it's got to come from outside of myself. This 
struggle with sin is because of this disease, you could say, the malaria in, in the veins, the sinful disposition, the sinful nature. So the, the problem is, is not, I don't know what God wants me to do or not do. The problem is my sinful nature. In fact, he says, the, 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 the sinful nature produces more sin in light of the law of God because now that I know what the law of God is, there's a temptation and a desire to cross that line. You know, it's like a little girl who once said, knowing the Ten Commandments puts ideas in your head. <laughs> no, we've just had a double dose of the Ten Commandments this morning. And you know, you read, thou shalt not covet. Then you begin to think about the things... That you shouldn't covet. And then you begin to covet those things. And then you have to repent about the coveting. Because God said, don't do that. You tell a toddler. Okay, you're not allowed to hit mommy and daddy when we say no. So what does he do? Uh, he rams his head into you. The next time you say no. And he doesn't like you saying no to him. So he, he rams his head into you. So he gets the letter of the law right. But not the spirit. The law inflames rebellion. You know, and I think I've told you this, my, my favorite illustration is the sign that was posted at a beachfront hotel, no fishing outside windows. What happens next? People start trucking their fishing gear up to the upper level, open up the window and start fishing outside of the hotel and fish are flopping on the windows, you know, and the, the, the levels below. So, you know, the law is good, but it generates a rebellious inclination because of the sinful nature. Because of the sinful nature. So knowing what is good, knowing what is right, that is not what saves us in the struggle of sin. So where does this end up? Verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's a cry for deliverance. And then here is the cry of victory. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the deliverer. He is the one who's going to deliver me from this struggle. I can't extricate myself from it. I can't save myself. It's within. I need a Savior from without. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He is the deliverer. Now, how does Jesus do that? Well, then you've got to go to Romans 8. And read what he talks about there. And I'll just give you a thumbnail sketch here. on Because it would be cruel to talk about our problem without talking about the solution. The deliverer. Our salvation. But the first way that Jesus delivers us from this struggle with sin is Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are united to Christ by faith. Because when we are united to Christ by faith, God sees us as righteous. In Him, in Christ, we are seen as righteous. So the righteousness that we have is not by the law, but by faith. That's been Paul's point all along in Romans. Romans 10.4 Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness is to everyone who believes. Not righteousness for everyone who works, but righteousness for everyone who believes. So if you belong to Christ, believe it or not, 
God sees you through that lens, the lens of Jesus' righteousness. And so the old Anglican theologians, 17th century theologians, would talk about the robe of Christ's righteousness being laid upon you. Richard Hooker talks about that. The robe of Christ's righteousness. And they're drawing on the, they're drawing on the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son returns home and the father takes the robe that he doesn't deserve and clothes his son, his rebellious son, with his robe. And the theologians, the Anglican preachers said, this is a, an analogy of the robe of righteousness that's given to us through Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing we need to understand. In the pursuit of holiness, it, it's not that we are trying to earn righteousness that's been given to us at the cross. We are trying to grow in the identity that God has already given to us. We're called to grow in holiness, but righteousness has been given to us by faith in Christ. A radical thought turns a lot of things, turns normal religion upside down. The motivation then for a holy life is gratitude, not trying to earn salvation. So, number one, the way Christ delivers us, there is therefore now no condemnation. We're not condemned in God's sight if we're in Christ. Number two, Romans 8, 2. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you belong to Christ, you have this spirit, the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And so, yes, Sin dwells within us, but as Christians, so does the Holy Spirit, the power and presence of God. Sin is a power, but the Holy Spirit is also a power. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of life and freedom. And as Christians, we can yield more and more to the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then we can make progress. We won't get to perfection in this life against the against sin in the battle against sin but we can make progress and we can grow in holiness as we yield to the Holy Spirit Paul teaches that again and again a power of sin can loosen its grip as we yield to more and more of the Spirit's influence in our life that happens through prayer that happens through scripture that happens through coming together and worshiping that happens as we partake of the means of grace. That happens as we reflect on who Christ is and all that He's done for us. And as He becomes greater in our estimation and our understanding of who He is, that helps us to, to battle against sin. We have to remember that we are sons and daughters of God and we've been given the spirit of adoption, which is the Holy Spirit. And then the third and final way, and really the ultimate deliverance here, is the resurrection of our bodies, of this mortal flesh where sin dwells. Romans 8.11, that's Romans 8.11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And that's our ultimate hope, the resurrection of the body. So in my resurrection body, I'm not going to have to worry about bad knees or a bad back. But greater still, I won't have to worry about a bad conscience. I won't be troubled by a weak and faulty heart. 
But greater still, I won't have to worry about an impure heart. I don't have to feel guilty anymore for ingratitude or anger or lust or pride. The fight will be over and the victory will be secured because we will be raised to new life. We will be raised to new life. And the image of God will be completely restored in us. We will see Him as He is. And we will be like Him. And that is our hope. That is the ultimate victory. The ultimate deliverance. The resurrection of the body. And so friends, if you are united to Christ by faith, claimed by Him in the waters of baptism. We had a baptism this morning at 9 o'clock. And we, we hit on this theme that your, your identity is in Christ and baptism symbolizes this and is a means of grace. Then remember who you are. What defines us is not the struggle with sin. What defines us as Christians is our union with Christ, our identity in Christ, our identity in Him. And if we realize that, that gives us the strength and courage to stay in the fight. I, I, I love the movie. I'm a sucker for boxing movies. Especially when it's an underdog and uh, he's going against the heavyweight champion. And so one of my favorites is uh, Cinderella Man. I don't know if you know that movie. Russell Crowe's in it. And uh, Russell Crowe plays James Braddock. James J. Braddock, who was a washed up fighter from New Jersey during the Depression era. And he's going up against, he finally gets to the point where he goes up against Max Bayer. And Max Bayer is the heavyweight champion. And he's vicious. In fact, he, he actually killed somebody with a punch. Uh, he, he, and that's, that's, this is based on history. He really did kill somebody. Um, he, was, he was such a strong boxer. And so everybody's worried about James J. Braddock as he gets ready for this match with the heavyweight champion of the world. And right before he goes into the fight, his, his wife comes to him and, uh, and she says, you need to remember as you go into this fight, just remember who you are. Just remember who you are and the relationships that you have. She said, you're the bulldog of Bergen, the pride of New Jersey. You're the champion of the neighborhood. You're a hero to your kids. So just remember as you go into that ring who you are. That gave him the courage to go and to fight. And miracle of miracles. He won in the 13th round. Remember who you are as you fight against sin. The struggle doesn't define you. Your relationship with Christ does. He's won the victory. And you belong to Him. Amen.